Good morning, everybody. I come to share the Bible readings with you today, and they're, today they're broken up into two parts. So the first one is now, and it's from Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 14, to Romans 13, verse 9. And I'm reading from the ESV. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. But to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honour to whom honour is owed. Owe no one in anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Thank you, Ian, for reading, and thanks to Phil for praying for us. And I don't know whether you knew, Phil, when you mentioned the, the story of the Good Samaritan that in today's passage it was going to talk about love your neighbour as yourself, but that's what Jesus was talking about. And it's wonderful to have uh, the way God works in and through everything that happens in our service. It is coordinated to some degree, but, but God still does his work uh, even when it's not coordinated. And that's pretty special, isn't it? 
Uh, for anyone that doesn't know, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're working on a, a series called Reading Romans Backwards. And uh, so we've been looking at the end of the book, which really describes who the, the, book of, uh, the letter of Romans is written to, the church in Rome, and the people there and the things they were going through. And we'll then be going back to the beginning. In a few weeks' time, we'll, we'll go back to uh, chapters 9 to 11. And then after that, we'll go back to chapter 1. Uh, but we're, um, we're working our way through and... This week, we're talking about a community of peace that looks outward. And you might remember the last couple of weeks, we've had a community of peace that looks upward to God. We have peace with God. And because of having peace with God, we have peace inward with God's people. And today, we're talking about having peace outward. Uh, Now, I'm just trying to get my iPad here so that I can see and control what's going on with the slides. But uh, before we go any further, it'd be great to, to pray together. So let's do that. Lord God, we ask that as we come to your word, that your Holy Spirit will apply it to our hearts, that we might hear your still small voice speaking. We know that you will prompt us to obedience. Give us the courage to be obedient and to walk in your ways, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so a couple of weeks back we talked about Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to read it again because really today's message is is shaped by these two verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? And as we look today at being a community of peace that looks outward, the question that's raised from these verses is how do we avoid being conformed to the world? Because if we're going to actually be people who are looking outward to the world, we're going to have to interact with them, aren't we? And so that's always the, the question or the concern is, can we interact with the world but do so in a way which allows us to maintain our allegiance to Christ and not to become so similar with the world that we become conformed to it? How do we avoid being conformed to the world? And, and the, the answer from the verse that we just read is that we're to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And the big idea of today's message is that we're a community of peace that transforms the world. As our minds are transformed by God, that helps us to reach out with his peace to the world and to help to transform the world. 
You might put that another way and say, transformed minds create transformed relationships. But I just want to think a little bit for a moment about the world in which we live and about the, the predominant worldview that we encounter when we are engaging with the world around us. Some years ago, I think it was in the 90s, there was a, an insurance company that had an ad and, and it talked about um, an architect who was 30-something years old and he was looking after his family and something happened and he had an illness or an injury or something and he couldn't work for several months and, and the income protection insurance you know, paid him all this money while he was off. And at the end of the ad, it, it said, for the most important person in the world, and it didn't verbally say it, but on the screen came the word you. For the most important person in the world, you. And that is the overriding philosophy of the world in which we live, particularly in the Western world, where we are all individuals who are here to discover ourselves, to find out what we're meant to do, and we, we have freedom and autonomy to look after ourselves. And when we think about where that gets us, it, it gets us to a, a place that's actually not always a happy place. You think about, uh, just if you look at newspapers, you've got the war against Ukraine from Russia. You've got people in conflict with one another. I, I just had a look at the news.com.au website. There was renters who are having conflict with landlords. There was people who have been in relationship with one another who are having conflict now with one another because they've broken up. There's all sorts of conflict uh, around the interactions that people have with one another that are sexual interactions and conflict because of people who are abused or taken advantage of. There's a, an overriding uh, in social media, an overriding sort of new thing that no one might have imagined 15 years ago, but there are people called influencers. Are you sick and tired of that word yet? And, and what are influencers all about? Influencers, to me, they're all about building themselves up, trying to get a bigger profile, trying to get more followers so that they can make more money because the most important person in the world is you, apparently, according to our world. So how do we avoid being conformed, being shaped, being squeezed into the mould of this world? Well, we have to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And Today, 
as we look at these passages, we're going to see that as a community of peace, we transform the world by bringing peace to personal relationships. That's the part at the end of chapter 12, verses 14 to 21. We bring peace to the relationships with human authorities and we bring peace to those who have never heard of Jesus. Now, these three passages are sort of loosely connected in a sense, and you might say, well, man, they're quite different topics, and we're sort of biting off a bit more than we can chew here uh, in a sense, but they all do fit together. You'll be pleased to know that uh, I'm not going to be like Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached the Book of Romans uh, across 13 years, um, he did four, no, five sermons, I think, on Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Um, and and his, his commentaries on the book of Romans, which were largely based on this, the sermons that he did, is a 14-volume set. Um, so even though we're covering a lot of ground today, I'm not going to sort of make it extend out like Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Okay, so... We're looking, first of all, at this part at the end of chapter 12, verses 14 to 21. And it's, it's countercultural. The world says, you're the most important person. But as Christians, we don't believe that. We've been transformed by God. We've been brought into peace with him because of the sacrifice of Christ and because of the mercies of God, we're told in Romans 12 verse 1, because of his mercies, because of his grace for us, because of the gift that he has given us of forgiveness, of healing, of cleansing, of making us a new creation in Christ, the gift of eternal life in Jesus, because of his mercy we're called not to serve ourselves, but to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to him. And that means that when we interact with people in our world, we're to interact with them in a completely different way to the way the world expects us to interact. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And that word bless there is, is really a word saying we should be actively seeking the good of others and in fact actively seeking the good of even those who persecute us. Many years ago, more than 25 years ago now, the Christian band DC Talk, um, they wrote the greatest ever Christian rock song in the history of Christian rock called Jesus Freak. Anyone know the song Jesus Freak? Some. If you want an education in Christian rock, um, that's the song that is the greatest song in rock song in Christian music. Um, and off the back of the, just the popularity of that song, they brought together uh, a series of stories. They worked with an organisation called The Voice of the Martyrs and they brought together a series of stories called Jesus Freaks. And these are people that faced persecution and I'm going to read you one of these stories. It's from Bangladesh. 
My name is Idris Mia. I was a good Muslim man, but I knew a bad Muslim man named Abu Bakr Siddiqui, who would often get drunk. No one in our village liked him, but what Abu eventually did made us hate him. He became a Christian. Some Christian men had visited his house and told him about Jesus. Abu then accepted Jesus and became a Christian. The village leaders met and decided that what he did was so bad that we would have to kick him out of our village and burn down his house. We formed a group of 25 men and went to his house. We were sneaking up to his house to take him by surprise. As we got closer, we could hear him praying. He was actually praying for our whole village. He was asking Jesus to forgive everyone in the village. He said Jesus should forgive us because we did not know what we were doing. This made us angry because we thought we knew what we were doing. Then all 25 of us rushed to his house to apprehend him, but there was an invisible force that would not let any of us enter his house to drag him out. We all became scared and everyone ran back to his own house. When I got home, I could not sleep. I kept thinking about Abu's prayer. He said we did not know what we were doing. Was it true? Was he right? I tossed and turned, but could not get this experience out of my mind. Finally, at 3 a.m., I could not wait any longer. I went back to Abu's house and said, who is Jesus? He told me how Jesus gave his life for sinners and how I could be saved. After three hours of this, I asked Jesus to forgive me. And I surrendered my life to him. Jesus saved me. Bless those who persecute you. Actively seek the good of those who persecute you. We, we read on. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. And, and to me, these all fit around this second point. With humility, embrace the joys, sorrows, and poverty of others as your own. You know, there's a saying uh, that you shouldn't judge a person until you walk a mile in their shoes. And... These ideas here are about us considering the other person. When they're rejoicing, we rejoice with them. When they're weeping, we weep with them. It's often easy to weep with those who weep. Um, we all identify with difficult times that people go through, but, but sometimes we find it hard to actually rejoice in someone else's success. Because sometimes someone else's success seems to come at a cost to us. It might be in the workplace when you're trying to work hard and you're hoping for a promotion and you get passed over for someone else who receives that promotion. And this is the counter-cultural ethic of the Christian faith. That if we are to reach out to our world and to broadcast the peace of Jesus, that in that circumstance, we rejoice with the person 
who received the promotion, even though it seems to have come at a cost to ourselves. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. That idea of walking a mile in the shoes of another person. It's so easy for us to look over the lowly. Those in our community that do it tough. Just ignore them. We're told to associate with them. With humility, embrace the joys, sorrows and poverty of others as your own. We read on in verse 19, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. There's a, an inherent trust for us. If we are those who suffer injustice... We're not to try and have vengeance ourselves, but we're to trust that God is the, the righteous judge. And that takes some doing sometimes. If you're being persecuted, if someone has done something wrong to you, taken advantage of you, Perhaps you've been someone, I suspect in a church of this size, that there are people who have maybe been the victims of a scam. And if you've been the victim of a scam, it would be pretty easy, I imagine, to want to try and get justice. We're encouraged to bless those who persecute us, to actively seek the good of those people. Trust God. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's such a countercultural idea, isn't it? You know, the turn the other cheek sort of an idea. And all of the movies that we watch, any of the movies that are about, you know, something bad that happens to people and and someone who's there to, you know, make things right. They're about us as people trying to get vengeance ourselves and trying to overcome evil, often with evil, instead of overcoming it with good. So we should let peace and love overcome evil and transform our enemies. The second part of our passage today is chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. And this is a really challenging one, I think, for us because we don't really like to be subject to authorities, do we? We like to be free and independent people. I don't know about you, but... I've always been one of those people that I, I feel like the, the speed limits are, uh, you know, like they're a guideline. Um, maybe that's not even strong, 
maybe that's too strong a word for the way I feel about them. I, I sort of feel, and maybe this is, um, you know, revealing more than I should reveal here, but I've always felt like speed limits are um, something that you should, you should participate in the spirit of it <laughs> rather than the letter of the law. Um, you know, like, if I'm driving safely, does it really matter if I'm... 10 kilometres over the speed limit or not, and maybe you're like me with that sort of thing. Uh, and we're, we're told to be subject to the authorities, to um, some translations say to, to submit ourselves to the governing authorities. And there's a, a very real uh, sense here in what Paul is saying that human authority is authority that is delegated by God. Now, that's not to say that governments and that rulers are always perfect. Far from it. They do do things wrong. And they don't always govern with godly motives. But even so, the fact that we have human authority, human authorities over us, we're told here is is actually something that is delegated by God. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Uh, I think here about movements that we have in our country and around the world. Have you heard of the Sovereign Citizen Movement? Who's, who's heard of the Sovereign Citizen Movement? You, you might have seen one of those videos where a policeman comes up to a person who wants to proclaim that they're a sovereign citizen, that they're, they're not an Australian citizen because they're their sovereignty to themselves means that they can make their own decisions about what they do and don't do and that they're not subject to the laws of Australia. Now, if I was not following the letter of the law but following what I feel is the spirit of the law with regards to a speed limit and I get pulled over by uh, a policeman, I can try and argue that fact, but ultimately I'm subject to their authority. But there are people in, in our society that want to try and say, well, we're not subject to the authorities that have been placed on us. Um, there's a, a guy that I know who sends me lots of these sorts of uh, links um, on Messenger um, about, you know, things that are conspiracy theory type things and so on. And, some of the things he sends me is about uh, people who believe that the Australian government uh, is completely corrupt and, and they've, got, they've coined a phrase, um, it's stop the rot, sack the lot. Uh, they want us to completely get rid of the government so that we can have, I don't know what, anarchy? Uh, that's what so many of those dystopian movies are about, isn't it? Here we're encouraged that we ought to submit to the human authorities that are placed before us. 
in, in verse 3 we read, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? In other words, do you want to live in such a way that you don't fear those who are in authority over you? Well then, do what is good. Do what is good. How can we be different to the culture around us? So many people want to... They'll put up with the governing authority, but they don't really want to be subject to it. Have you ever uh, had someone say to you when you're paying for a good or a service, oh, if you pay cash, you know, you can pay $50 less? Now, why do they do that? Because they're not going to declare that sale. That's a, that's a dilemma. You know, if, if you're running a business and you're trying to do the right thing, you're going to declare all your sales. And, and even if someone pays you cash, because remember, it's, it's legal tender to pay cash. If, if you're running such a business that, you know, people sometimes offer you cash, you're still going to declare that if you're seeking to submit to the human authorities and, and you're going to have to pay tax on that. But why do people give you a discount if you pay cash? Because they're not going to declare that. So have you ever wondered in that instance, well, what do I do? Am I participating in their sin? Because I know that they're not going to declare that. Or should I insist on paying the full amount? Then I'm giving them more money that they're not going to declare. Or do I insist on paying with a card so I can get a receipt? That's a dilemma, isn't it? Do what is good. We read in verse 6, For the same reason you also pay taxes, for the authorities and ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honour to whom honour is owed. You can hear in Paul here, can't you, an echo of Jesus when they were trying to trap him and they said, you know, should we be paying taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, whose image is on the coin? And he says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. And, and there's a real echo of that there, isn't there? That we ought to be subject to the governing authorities. Pay your taxes. Do what is good and submit to human authority as authority delegated from God. Now we want to make this really practical. So you've all received a, a handout, hopefully. Uh, if anyone hasn't received a handout, I've been advised by Tim Coy that I'm, I'm to say that our beautiful usher, his wife Barb, and her sidekick, that's Tim, would be happy to give you one. Does is is anyone need one of these or has everyone got one? There's a couple of people around, so um, the sidekick will assist you. Keep your hand up in the air and, and Tim will help you out. 
Um, so on one side of this, we have a flower. I'll come back to that in a moment. And on the other side, we've got some questions to prompt us to action. But the, the point of this is th there's a critical element of being a disciple. There are several, but one of the critical elements of being a disciple is obedience. Jesus says in the Great Commission that we should teach those who we've made disciples, we should teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. If we're truly going to be disciples of Jesus, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we need to be following what he has commanded. And so we wanted to give you an opportunity to, to think about this you can talk with the person sitting next to you if you like, or if you don't like to engage with people at church, uh, you can be on your own and just think about it yourself. Um, I want you to just take a, a couple of minutes to think about questions one and two. And question two, it refers you to the, the illustration of the, the flower of peace. How can you take God's peace into all of those different arenas of life? To the church, to your social sphere, to your community, to the nations. So turn to the person next to you and just have a think and a talk about those two questions, questions one and two. Thank you. Well. I'm back for the second instalment of our Bible reading this morning and the second reading is from Romans chapter 15 verse 14 to verse 33 and again from the ESV. I myself am satisfied about you my brothers that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of the signs and wonders and by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have not never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have come so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room to work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. 
At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Archaea have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed by your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Thanks again, Ian. I'll come to that passage momentarily, but uh, as I was talking with Ian and Tracy, um, the question was asked, is there ever a time when it's appropriate to, to rise up against government or to, to resist what an evil government is doing? And uh, it had been my intention to mention in the previous section the example of Daniel in the Old Testament. You know the story of Daniel, he's in exile in a foreign country and the king wants to feed them all of this food that went against the, the kosher Jewish food laws and they wanted to be able to maintain their understanding of what they should eat and so they asked for permission test us out see how we go if in you know 10 days time we're looking as healthy as the others then let us keep eating our own food in letter instead of eating the food that's been supplied by the king and of course that happened and and here's a an example of respectful um respectful dis uh, what's the word <laughs> what's that Disobedience, respectful disobedience, yes. Thank you. And we can be respectful and be in submission, but also when necessary say, you know, we don't believe that this is right. They, he and his companions, when King Nebuchadnezzar built the idol and they were all to bow down. At that point in time, they knew that they must stand and not bow. And they faced the consequences. And in that instance, God saved them miraculously. But uh, you read this book, and there are many instances where the miraculous saving doesn't happen. Not on this earth. But remember, as the, the old chorus goes, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through.
This world is not our home. Our home is in heaven. And there may come a time, I pray God it doesn't happen for any of us, but there may come a time where we have to stand for God. But until then, let us submit to the authorities, be respectful, seek to do good. So we come to the the last uh, part of our passage, bringing peace to those who have never heard of Jesus. And I'm going to be very quick with this. Paul is basically here talking about his desire to preach the gospel and and his sense of calling that God had called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And so he had always sought to preach the good news of Jesus to those who had not yet heard. And, And it's interesting that he would always start when he went into a town in the synagogue, the place where the Jewish people were. But then often what would happen, well, every time I think, he gets kicked out of the synagogue and he then preaches to the Gentiles. He felt a sense of responsibility to go first to the Jews because they were originally the ones chosen by God through whom, and the promise was given to Abraham, through whom all families of the earth would be blessed. So he goes first to the Jews, but then he goes to the Gentiles, and that's where he saw his calling. And he writes here in verse 15, On some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. There's a sense here in which Paul is saying, I'm a priest, I'm here to to bring God's message to you, to mediate God's message to you. But there's also here a sense of him saying to the Gentiles, you are also called to this priestly duty. And the scriptures tell us that we are a kingdom of priests as his church and that means that we all have been entrusted with the mission with the ministry of mediating the the good news of Jesus to a world that doesn't yet know and I I love here what it says about the Gentiles Um, in, in my translation in the ESV it says so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. But I think the NIV says, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God. And that's thinking back to Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, isn't it? Where we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And he's here saying that he's communicated the good news of Jesus so that the Gentiles who believe might themselves become an offering to God. We are amongst those who have come to faith through the work of others, through the ministry of others, 
perhaps through the ministry of the word, if that's the way you came to faith, through God's Holy Spirit by reading God's word. But having come to faith in him, we are priests. We have a priestly function to, to bring the message of Jesus to those that don't yet know and to offer our whole selves as an offering acceptable to God. Paul goes on and in verse 20 he says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. He's got this desire to be a pioneer, to take the, the message of Jesus to people that have never heard before. And um, the term ambition there is an interesting one, isn't it? Warren and I were talking about it this week in Sermon in Scripture. I hope you don't mind, Warren, that I'm going to quote you a bit. Um, Warren said about Paul, you know, he's a godly man, isn't he? But in the book of Acts, we, we see how Paul had plans, but sometimes God intervened in those plans. Now, there was a time where the Spirit stopped them from going to one place, and, and then the Spirit sent Paul a vision of a man from Macedonia uh, calling them. So the Spirit regularly intervened in those plans, but it didn't stop Paul from making plans. He has plans, but he holds them loosely. And, um, and this is the bit that I particularly, I guess, just referencing Warren, um, because I wasn't here. But in our church here, big plans were made a long time ago, 25 years ago or so, maybe a bit longer than that. Big plans of what this church was going to do during the Olympics. And some of us looking back now on those plans might say, well, they were a mistake. Or, boy, we're paying the price for that, aren't we? But Warren said, you know, think about this. Through all of the, the difficult times where people in the church, they didn't know whether there'd be enough money to keep the doors open another week, whether the church would have to, you know, be sold because of the money that was owed. But God has been faithful to this church and we are still here. Amen? Amen? We are still here. God is faithful. He is good. Imagine if that big plan hadn't happened. We wouldn't now have the bargain barn. How many people go through the bargain barn every week and they find a blessing there because they are able to buy clothing and all sorts of other goods at a minimal price because of the blessing of 15, 20 people who volunteer their time 
who give hours and hours and hours every week to make sure that new stock that's donated is made available. What a, what a wonderful blessing that ministry is to so many in our community. We wouldn't have that ministry of blessing if it wasn't for the plans that were put in place some 25 years ago. Maybe we need to reframe our thinking about that and remember that God has been faithful and that he has taken us through that and we are still here and he loves us and let us not allow our fear from what happened in the past to stop us from making plans for the future now and hold them loosely like Paul did because the spirit might change them along the way but it's so much easier for God to change our course if the car we're in is moving than if it's stationary So Paul makes plans. And it's not wrong for us under God to seek to make plans for the future. To have a desire to see his name proclaimed in this area. Think about all the new housing at Marsden Park and Colby. Most of us didn't even know there was a suburb called Colby there next to Marsden Park. Think about all that new housing and all of the people in those places and at Jordan Springs and at Ropes Crossing and at Box Hill and at Pitt Town and all of the established suburbs of the Hawkesbury. How many of them don't know Jesus? At the very last part of the passage that Ian read, Paul talks about the sharing of spiritual and material blessings. And that's what we're called to do as a church, to share the spiritual and material blessings that we have with the community around us and with our world. And finally, Paul calls them to strive together with him in prayer. Is prayer something that we strive in as a church? If you looked at our church as a whole, could you say that we're striving in prayer, that we're working hard to pray together? Let me encourage us all, whenever we are together, Whatever setting it might be, let's carve out extensive time to pray that God will work amongst us. I was reading Leonard Ravenhill's Why Revival Tarries. And he was challenging us to be people who pray 
that God will work. He, he's talking about the unction of God. It's a weird word, unction. But basically he was saying, do, are, are our ministries powerless? If our ministries are powerless, we need the power of God. How are we going to receive the power of God in our ministries? By praying. I'm going to pray and then, and then we're going to just take a couple of minutes to reflect on the last two questions on the sheet. Let me pray. Lord God, we ask that we might be people, a community, a church who looks outward to the world around us with your eyes that we might see those who don't yet know you and in love reach out to them. Give us a vision of the lost that will so break us that we will be forced to our knees in prayer that your power might operate in our lives personally and in our church corporately. That the lost around us will see the difference that Christ makes. And will be drawn to you. To the glory of God. Amen.